Business of Cambridge, a new series of programmes and podcasts from Cambridge 105 Radio. Episode 1, Networking. Hi, welcome to the Business of Cambridge. I'm Sue Keogh and as a member of the local business community myself, I'm lucky enough to rub shoulders with global tech firms, exciting startups in life sciences and lots of small businesses, freelancers and one-man bands in the area. So there's lots going on and there's lots of stories to uncover. And in this episode, we're exploring the power of networks. I'm joined by two people who understand the value that networks bring to the business community in Cambridge, helping people connect, learn from each other and hopefully do business with each other too. We'll be talking about the positive impact these networks bring and how, if you're an organiser yourself, you can help them flourish. Plus, we've got a few tips along the way for people who hate networking. <laughs> so Vari Russell founded Grub Club which is a network for foodies in the area. So just give me a little snapshot, a picture of a typical member. We have a variety of typical members. So they range from farm shop and deli or retail hosts and owners to producers. So we get a mixture across the board, but all with a passion for food and drink. And Obi Naha, you're the chief commercial officer for Cambridge Wireless. I am. And yeah. is there any overlap with Grub Club, the sort of people that come to your events? No, but I think, uh, <laughs> I <didn't> think so. <laughs> but, uh, a lot of our events, we have food. So I think food's quite important uh, when people network and talk and chat. So I think that's the commonality. It's a tech ecosystem. So we've got things like from AI, smart cities, connected healthcare, so it's digital tech companies from startups to big organisations as well. Okay, so Vari, when you founded Grub Club, what was the thinking behind it? What made you think, okay, there's, there's a gap in the area for this? We'd gone to a quite safe and staid um, networking breakfast event and we I have three kids so it's quite hard to get out the door for like six in the morning to go to a networking event so we wanted to create something that was very much food and drink focused and there is only so much food and drink you can cope with at breakfast whereas if you have something in the evening it has longevity and we wanted to create something that we hadn't found for ourselves so it was about getting everyone together over great food and drink, supporting the independent restaurateur and getting everyone to sit around, chat and collaborate. And was it the way that with the very first event you turned up and maybe there was just one person there, someone that you knew, or did it just explode and, and everyone was interested straight away? We're really lucky that we've got some really good friends, I think it's safe to say. We managed to get 40 people on the first event. So, yeah, we persuaded quite a lot of our network to come and they took faith in us and came, which was amazing. Our first event was at the GOG, up in the GOG Magog Hills, and that was five years ago. So, um, yeah, it feels like we've come a long way. And is that a monthly event? We do four a year, oh, so okay. we're not maybe as ambitious as OB to have more events throughout the year. We have limited them to four because there's no point holding anything in the summer season because everyone's away or there it shows. So you've got quite a few under your belt by now. Yes. Okay, and then with OB, how many events do Cambridge Wireless run a year? <laughs> yeah, so roughly we do about an event a week. Okay. And 50% in Cambridge, 50% in London. And they vary from sizes from about... Uh, 25 to a few hundred when it comes to our big conferences. We started about 19 years ago. Uh, one of the co-founders was David Cleveley. And the mission there was really is to get people together around 3G at that time. And uh, now we've progressed to 4G and 5G. So you know, it's been active for quite a while. And um, yeah, it's been fun. And also you know, thought leadership in terms of technology trends, uh, collaboration. Barry, you mentioned collaboration is really important of bringing people together. 
and you know be creative and sort of like brainstorm and uh, and network so I think that's the core of what we're trying to do and I think what I'm picking up from both of you is that it's very niche so someone who goes to a grub club wouldn't necessarily be familiar with the world where you're talking about 3g and 4g but then equally not necessarily a restaurateur so do you think that's where the, the, the power is in these networks? Well, it is. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, people who come to our events, although it's professional, you know, a lot of them have social lives and, mm-hmm. you know, they do care about food and they go to, you know, nice restaurants and they go home to cook uh, as well. So I think it is there are some synergies right, uh, in that. But I think what I like about it is that sometimes you'll have the formal kind of PowerPoint presentations, but then at times it's actually when the food comes out people actually relax a little bit and they can have those kind of intimate, uh, authentic conversations and you get to know people as well. So it's quite a nice you know, icebreaker there. And do you have quite a common format for all these events as well, something that you know works, that you've tried and tested over the years? Yeah, we have, right? Because uh, a lot of our events are thematic, so it's like technology trends, but when we invite people in, we usually uh, get a good indication of who they are and then we can make introductions and it's usually some sort of like presentations followed by breakout sessions then mingling and then sort of like a summary as well and then we have that's what happens in the physical world and then you know then we have a digital presence as well in terms of capturing what they're doing afterwards as well so we can connect people afterwards so actually there's a lot of effort that goes into it and we've got some uh, a wonderful events team and they're brilliant actually organizing this and getting people together and how about with you, Vari? Is it just you on your own or have you got other people supporting you? Um, no, Cass and I run Grub Club events and then we also have just franchised into Northamptonshire, Leicestershire. So we had our first event in that territory two weeks ago and we're launching in Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire in March and Kent in March. So each patch is run by somebody and then supported by us. So um, yeah, but we have a similar setup in terms of the fact we normally have a sponsor speaker and then we have a guest speaker. And I'm sure you found mm. the same you you schmooze people for a long time to get them on your guest speaker list and I had confirmation last week that someone I have been chatting to for two years has finally agreed so I'm so excited but I'm not going to share it (laughs) um, but I'm sure you've had the same thing OB the biggest concern for us as running a networking group is keeping the percentage of new people but keeping the consistent ones coming back so they're your brand advocates and then getting those magical guest speakers that really fire the juices up of your attendees to yeah. make the ticket sale you know tickets fly and how how have you kind of perfected that over the years then to make sure that people come back i think having more confidence uh, it sounds really stupid but i am very complacent in terms of the fact that i don't necessarily harness my network as widely as i should and i don't ask as often as i should and Kelly Molson inspired me and she said, just ask. You don't know where, where it'll take you. And I now go, okay, I'll just ask. What's the worst they say? No. You know, and it's not actually as daunting. And this person I asked and he said, yes, instantly. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And you then feel another level of confidence. So you then go and reach for another star that you want to get. So he hasn't yet replied the other star, <laughs> but we're living in hope. But I think it's just having the confidence to ask and having the credibility having run it for five years you've run yours for 19 that you can go to a venue and say okay I'm going to bring this party to you you're really privileged to be part of it and you'll get a lot from it but in return can you do x y and z and most people say yes because the independent food sector wherever you go they would love a restaurant full for the night 
And how about you then, Obi? How do you get that really interesting mix of speakers and topics? First of all, what we have to do is we have to respect people's time because I think there are actually a lot of networks and events and, you know, you can have... You can go somewhere for breakfast, go somewhere for lunch, go somewhere for dinner, <laughs> right? You know, and they say there's no such thing as a free lunch. So I think, uh, first of all, we've got to be respectful of the target audience, which people, which companies would like uh, to be there. And then choosing a subject area and an experience, which hopefully they'll find attractive and valuable. So we do a lot of research uh, in terms of where the technology trends are going or where are the gaps out there as well. Then we do some pre-marketing and then we just reach into our networks. And sometimes it is a bigger event or it's more just a few people. So we're conscious of how much time that they have. And then also, I think, as a feedback afterwards as well. You know, what do they like? You know, what can we improve on as well? So we, you know, keep that process going. The value is it's a trusted platform where we bring people together and, and just to feel open enough to just chat about what's on people's minds. And you know, there's so many exciting things happening in Cambridge. And we're international. You know, 57% of our members, we've got about 430 corporates. 57% of them are uh, in about 18 countries. So we get a lot of visitors from China, Korea, Japan. So we just welcome them, really, and then bring them together. But always we're trying to stay ahead of the curve to see what else could be doing which is different. And tell me a little bit about pricing and because there's so many free events out there and then there's membership organisations. How do you make your, uh, the Grub Club, how do you make that? uh, I think it's one of the hardest and most debated topics in the office. We charge around £48 for our tickets and then various people go, it was such good value. So you're having a three course meal, you're having a welcome drink, you're hearing a guest speaker and with Grub Club, you leave with a goodie bag. So producers will put product in, other retailers put discount vouchers in, our sponsors put things in. So And then the conversation carries on, like you said, we, yeah. you have all the social groups to carry on those conversations, but it seems to work at £48. We've had, you know, wonderful feedback saying it's great value for money. I don't think we could tip that, but then we have worked quite hard to get really good sponsors who then get added value from it. So that kind of combination works for us. And then you're a membership organisation, so people just pay their annual fees. And then do you think because they're paying that, perhaps they attend more events than they, they might do with Yeah, so part of the deal is either if you're just two people, it, it based on uh, how many employees you have in your organisation, and that's how the membership fees work. But you're right, you know, uh, as soon as somebody pays a membership fee, they can attend as many events as they like. But then also, because we're a not-for-profit, we're owned by members, uh, we also have an additional income stream in terms of sponsorship and bespoke events. And actually, we see these kind of bespoke events, customised events for some of the companies where we bring a little bit more innovation in terms of the people that we bring together, you know, looking at our black book. They tend to be a bit more exclusive, so there's more value to be added there. And to get down to the nitty gritty, as events organisers, what are those things that everybody gets wrong or that you can tell people to avoid doing? I think dodgy curly sandwiches is the most (laughs) offensive thing ever and really bad coffee for me. And that's why one of the reasons we set up that we weren't full of life coaches, accountants. They, they're all needed, but we are. it's all food and drink focused and we will deliver excellent food and drink. And I think that is really important. I personally don't like name badges because I think they impinge a conversation. Whereas if you don't have them, you're more likely to go up and go, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. So I think we don't have name badges. Um, I think those would be our key don'ts. And how about you? Um, tell me about slides. Yeah. People quite often have really boring slides. Do you find that a problem? 
Yes, they can. I'm guilty yeah. of that uh, uh, as well. But for us, because um, we're more deep tech, so the technical content integrity is really important. So yes, although we do rely on sponsorships as well, sometimes you can go the other way and it just ends up with one of your speakers is doing more of a sales pitch. So it's getting that fine balance. You know, we're always on the lookout again for innovative speakers, somebody who's you know, pushing the boundaries and attracting them. And then the audience tends to follow as well. Have you ever heard anything that's gone disastrously wrong? Gosh, we have. I'm not sure if I can say it publicly or not. <laughs> go on, go on. No, I, I wouldn't say disastrously wrong. You know, sometimes people don't turn up. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say that or things aren't ready at the right time for people. But I wouldn't say disastrously wrong. And this is the thing, I think, uh, like yourself, I think if you have people who are experienced, uh, it's a high-pressure role yeah, sometimes because it all comes down to the last minute. And you have to... It's just like a duck, I think, you know, on, on the surface. They, they're quite cool, right, yeah. swimming along. But swimming along like a swan. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, things do happen. But I think you, you try to put some elements of how, how to manage the risk. Okay, so on the business of Cambridge today, we're talking about the power of networks. And I want to move things around from the organiser's perspective to people that attend these events. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing I hear all the time. People say, oh, I don't really like networking. So what sort of tips would you give to people if they're, they're new to coming to one of your events? How they take the plunge. I think joining, we had someone who'd never been and she was. She put on Twitter that she was really nervous and we were like, look, we're really nice, we won't eat you. There's good food, it's fine. So I think having, joining in the conversation on social before so you can see some of the faces on the avatars, then you know who they are and that feels less daunting if you're going into a room and you know nobody. But also you're, you've taken the bull by the horns and paid for a ticket, you need to kind of make the most of it. So I think don't feel daunted and just chat to everybody. Everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, and how about you? How do you yeah, sort of help people break well, the ice? Yeah, similar as well. You know, what we tend to do is we do a reach out to people who are attending before. You know, as long as you're GDPR compliant, you're allowed to, you know, uh, email them or ask them, are there any particular people you'd like to be introduced to? So we try to do some preliminary work before. But there was an instance where actually I got it quite wrong. We're talking about things which didn't work is once I saw uh, this person just standing by themselves and um, he looked a bit distressed. So I, so I did walk up to him and he said, I said, are you all right? And he said, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anyone. Oh. And initially I, th- I felt quite offended by that. But then I actually had to step back and think, actually, some people, they're not comfortable in networking. And, and he was there just to learn and, you know, and get the technical content. So sometimes, you know, as I, as I say about, you know, creating that respectful environment, sometimes people don't want to network. Mm. So you, you've got to look out for just letting people know you're there as a support mechanism. Uh, yeah. You think it varies from sector to sector because maybe in food, people are naturally going to be a bit more chatty we're and maybe in tech, yeah. they're a bit more shy and introverted if that's not too much of a general yeah, no, generalization I, I, yeah i agree we're quite a chatty friendly bunch as a rule yeah we're friendly as well but <laughs> no i'm not saying you're not but in terms i guess you're you yeah. have a higher percentage of people who are coming to learn whereas yes. we have a higher percentage of people who just want yeah. to come and have some great food and, and a chat oh exactly yeah you'll get some people who just stay for the presentations and then they'll leave in terms of the socials and networking and then that's fair enough and then tell me about marketing as well. So how do you reach these people and make sure that you've got lots of people there at every event? I think that's the million dollar <laughs> button. Um, we do various competitions to capture data. So we've just done one with winning the Fitzbillies book um, to capture some data to drive our awareness of the um, networking events. We do a lot on social media. We write for Velvet magazine every month. And that same model is going to be replicated for the different patches. But yeah, and then it's just reaching out through linkedin twitter and pushing it and inviting people but i think it's about having like you've said having the great guest speaker 
and having the food offering so that you drip feed the information through to your database and then on social to drive the tickets. But it's always lastminute.com. doesn't matter how many I've done. There's still a panic about 10 days before going, we haven't sold enough tickets. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. It's the same every single time. And it doesn't matter who you speak to, it's always the same. I find a thing with um, camera creators, which I help run, where there's this kind of snowball effect. So if there's not that many tickets sold or people coming, then nobody wants to come. But as soon as it reaches a certain level, everyone, they just can't wait to, tipping to come. Point, you know, yeah. Tipping point. What about you, Obi? Do yes, you have a same. similar experience? Yeah, same. Then also we have some pretty good partners there and collaborations with other networks as well. So you make a phone call or you'll send an email and say, look, this is something would appeal to your network. They're not competing. So this is a really good way in terms of how we have partner networks uh, around the UK. And do you use any tools to make it easier? Any particular software or? I think we have a marketing team. Or? Yeah, okay. we have meetups and then, you know, LinkedIn is quite good and quite, quite effective. Uh, so we have a dedicated marketing team and social media, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. So we have things like that as well. So for people listening mm. who maybe don't have the, the marketing team, what do you think those essentials are to help people market their events well? If it's professional, I think LinkedIn is quite good mm -hmm. right, in terms of the groups that you have. Uh, also, if you can get some editorials as well in, in some journals, uh, if you have somebody who can write some pretty good articles there as well, again, that reaches different kinds of audience. And also what we do is we also go to other events, other people's events as well, because, you know, we want to improve. And sometimes you make some really interesting connections there. And do you use any platforms like Meetup or Eventbrite to help? Uh, so Eventbrite we use. Um, yep. we've, we've got our own uh, system as well uh, for booking and, and getting the word out as well. So we're always refining that too. We found Eventbrite really useful. And yeah. we've been privileged enough to be contacted by their PR team, which has been really useful because oh, then they've used this case study. Yeah. So that, again, has helped. And I think that makes it really easy for someone to create their tribe effectively with Eventbrite as your helping hand. And does that help you juggle things around the day job as well? Because you're doing yes. lots. You're not just running these <laughs> events. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It really does. And we use scheduling tools for social media. So um, we have the advantage of writing for Velvet magazine every month. So we're calling in pro three products a month to feature them. And then that opens the pipeline for those potential producers to come along to Grub Club as well. So, yeah. And how about the way that people who've attended the events, they talk about it as well? Do you kind of encourage them to take photos? And we do, yeah, very much joining in the conversation on social. And we, we love using the LinkedIn Connect with everyone nearby um, facility, which loads of people, it's mind-blowing for them. They're like, I've never seen this before. And so then everyone in the room is connected on LinkedIn, So um, which is really, really good. But yeah, the conversation definitely carries on on social. And then also people who are kind enough to kind of share photos for the blogs that we write on after each event. And so what do you think the impact has been on the local community of these events that you run? Has it helped lots I think, of foodies yeah, we've get we, together? Yeah, we estimate cautiously that in the five years we've connected over 6,000 food and drink professionals, which is a really powerful thing to have done. Um, and through that, various people have got listings with different farm shops and delis. Um, Burwash have hosted an event for us and they found it very beneficial and met different producers that they maybe wouldn't have met otherwise. And I think it's really difficult if you're in a restaurant or a retail space to get out and meet those producers. But you always want to be ahead of your competitors by offering something new. So having an event on your doorstep is a perfect way of doing it. So it's quite interesting to see if you can measure that kind of impact. Mm. Is, there, is there, I mean, you've said something about numbers, but can you measure that more precisely? We're looking into that. Mm. It's one that's keeping me awake at night, thinking <laughs> how can we put a tan... Because it would be great to say, OK, we've generated X 
for local businesses or for a number of businesses, we can say, okay, it, direct correlation has been X thousands of pounds by them coming to this group. But all the people that have reportedly said all the really lovely things have all are all repeat attenders so it obviously is working for them whether they're prepared to put a quantifiable figure against it not sure and for cambridge wireless yes. everyone loves data they love yeah. the numbers so are people quite keen to find out the impact as well yeah they are especially sponsors as well so i think for the last conference international conference i mean we always give uh, questionnaire feedback but i mean the average deal size one was something like six hundred fifty thousand pounds and these are from people who we know well so we tend to follow up and just to find out are there areas that we can improve what value did you get you know what didn't you like you know what did you like so we tend to Look at those stats. They're quite important when we have our review of, of events. And so people in the team are measuring that that all the, yes. all the time. What's the, I suppose, the secret sauce? So what is it that makes a Cambridge Wireless event so special? I think, you know, personally, I th- you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it's about relationships. And um, I think we've had this long, strong reputation over many years. So it's actually just sitting back and just thinking, right, because it's more technology trends, especially around digital innovation, what is there is there a gap you know so maybe it's ai in healthcare you know what are some of the challenges and then what we have is in cambridge wireless we have 20 special interest groups and for each of these special interest groups we have about four or five special interest group champions so these are champions back at base who are experts say in industrial iot or autonomous vehicles so we're really lucky to have them as volunteers who are there like tentacles in the industry so they feed back to us and say, look, these are observations, this is what we're seeing. So we get them together quite regularly, the special interest group champions. So they're really the thought leaders in terms of how we construct the events which they believe will be interesting for us. And what's coming up in 2020? So I think uh, 2020, uh, what we're seeing is a lot more of the uh, the vertical industry, water companies, car companies, gas companies. They're going through this transition of the way they want to connect more with uh, digital technology. So I think that's important. Um, the role of 5G, IoT, cloud computing. So these are some interesting technology trends we're seeing. Um, some of the question marks are around business models. So we're trying to collaborate and bring people together to really look at those issues and challenges uh, over the year. And what about you, Vari? What's what's on the agenda for 2020? We've lined up some great guest speakers and some very tasty venues. That's exciting. <laughs> um, and then we'll be launching in the three additional areas to Cambridge. So that's really exciting for us because through having a wider network across the country, we can get more people together to create and collaborate. And so thinking back over the years while you've been running Grub Club, mm-hmm. what have you learned that you've been able to apply when you've you've moved to the other areas, so Northampton, etc.? To collaborate and partner up, like you were saying, Obi, yeah. earlier, about collaborating with other like-minded groups. So Made in Northamptonshire, we're collaborating with for the Northamptonshire-Leicestershire group. Um, I don't think anyone can be arrogant enough to think that they are the solution. So we are very much about partnering and partnering with industry bodies to make things happen because the more you collaborate, the more you can achieve. And I think that's really, really important. And then just being confident enough to ask. We're, as kids, we ask all the time. As adults, we ask very rarely. And I think that's the biggest thing. So, Obi, thinking about yes. over the years and what you've learned, yeah. when you're booking speakers nowadays, what instructions do you give them? As the instructions we give them are to stick to the point. Right. So make it very, very uh, precise in terms of what they'd like to communicate and, you know, what they'd like to get 
uh, out of the experience as well when they're speaking. Also, we tend to give them some research material in, in the target audience uh, and the subject area. Also, who's speaking before them and who's speaking after them as well. And just a rough idea of the kind of question that uh, Q&A that they would expect as well. So I think that's, that's how it tends to go. And do people normally stick to time? Or do you often have that thing where everyone's sat there thinking, oh, I want my lunch, and this guy won't stop talking, or yeah, are they so well behaved? Uh, our events management team, they're pretty brutal. Right? <laughs> with, with the red card and the yellow card and the green card, you do sometimes get the speakers who are, avoid looking at them. But we have a series of mechanisms in place. So sometimes we do overrun, but... Um, not before food, because the tech, <laughs> the tech yeah. community, they love their food. You need to do that thing yeah. like in the Oscars, where they just start <laughs> playing the music to, to get the people to go off. Yeah. Um, and how about you, Vari? Do you coach people at all? No, we're really blessed with the bulk of the speakers we've had thus far have all done lots of it before. So they're really good at staying on time. So, um, yeah. And some, I think the one we had that ran a little longer than others was only because there were so many questions and we didn't feel we could wrap it up because everybody was just lapping up the information so um yeah I think it's a balance to be had isn't it and you've hinted a little bit along the way at some of the speakers that might be coming up Mm -hmm. so who would be your your dream speaker that's a really difficult one I think it would have to be someone that has really delivered an exceptional range of products and would be really inspiring. So I don't think that our audience would want to hear the likes of Delia Smith come and talk. That's the wrong kind of profile. I think they want to find out where the pain points have been and how the challenges of building a brand or running a farm shop or a deli or a restaurant have caused pain along the way and how they they can learn from that it would be amazing to have Jamie Oliver obviously that would be (laughs) pretty special I think he's a little bit battered and bruised at the moment but equally it would be fascinating to have um, deliciously Ella you know she's been very inspiring on her own personal journey to create the products that she's created um so yeah and I think having the founder Ed from Cook would be equally inspiring so I don't think there's one I think there are so many amazing foodies that it would be really really hard to pick and that's why we need to take on more areas so we can have more inspiring speakers (laughs) well it sounds wonderful um and how about you have you got anyone on your your I don't uh if Iron Man or somebody from the, uh, nice. yeah, Batman or Superman. Not Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars could be Star Wars. You can, yeah. you, you can have Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so, yeah. So it sounds like there's lots of exciting things coming up. Maybe you want to have people who are all about the innovation and you've got people talking about business challenges. So thank you so much for sharing all your insights today and uh, sharing your tips on what makes a good network. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Sue. And there'll be another episode of The Business of Cambridge along soon. In episode two, Sue Keogh discusses growth with two prominent and successful business people in the food and drink sector, Claire Martinson from Breckland Orchard and Ollie Thane from the local restaurant group Cam's Cuisine. The Business of Cambridge is a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio and you can download or stream every episode from our website or from your usual podcast provider. 